Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. We've been having crucial conversations all week this week as we've talked about suicide prevention, uh, whether for you or someone you know, if uh, someone is in a bad place, uh, they should call 800-273-8255. Or, of course, here in Utah, you can download the Safe UT app, uh, always accessible for help. And very pleased and thrilled to have Lori Pritchard, our uh, colleague from KSL-TV, joins us for a crucial conversation about suicide prevention. Uh, Listeners, this is what courageous vulnerability looks like and what leadership acts like. Uh, This isn't a topic for Lori. Uh, This is is life. And Lori, thanks for joining us today. Oh, my gosh, that was such a nice introduction. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Wonderful. Well, this has uh, been something, obviously, that uh, touched you. This is part of of your life and your world. And as you've gone through it, as you've processed it, uh, you you haven't uh, just hunkered down, uh, as is probably the natural inclination, uh, but you've actually reached out and you've actually been reaching out to people around the world uh, who have survived a suicide attempt to understand what was going on uh, in their world, in their minds, and and how we can better help. Tell us about that. Well, um, I mean, you know, honestly, I I would prefer to have hunkered down and um, maybe gotten under the covers and and (laughs) hide from the world for a while. Um, But my husband's suicide was such a um, shock to me and our family. I I needed to understand. Uh, We'd been married for 15 years, and... How does something like that happen when you think it's just out of the blue? Like, honestly, I thought to myself, what did I miss? And so as I begin kind of talking about his suicide, people started contacting me. And uh, a year went by after his death. He died two years ago in August. And um, the beginning of this year, really, I um, started reaching out to those people who had messaged me, and the people that I began reaching out to were the people who had said that they had once been depressed and came to the point where they tried to kill themselves, and um, they lived through that attempt. And as I began reaching out to those people, what I really wanted was just to understand. Um, Honestly, I wanted to understand what I may have missed in in during my marriage to my husband. Yeah. Well, and as uh, as you go through that, and as you listen to those stories, uh, I know one of the things that you've mentioned is that uh, that your husband was was trying to to, to fix it, self diagnose, self 
self-educate, yeah. you know, I can, I can do this. And, and yes. often that is part of the challenge, isn't it? Well, you know, so he, he came to believe that what he, he saw as what I would consider depression, he saw as a character flaw. He thought mm. uh, it was weakness. Um, and so he began uh, doing online searches, and he was writing in journals. He was writing gratitude lists and and talking about ways that he could try to help himself through through his writing. And um, he was reading books. And, and yes, I, I, I came to realize that yeah, he was trying to fix himself. Um, but in reality, you, ca- you can't do that. And every single person that I've interviewed, and, and you said, I, I have talked to people in Australia, in Europe, in Canada, and all across this country. And every single one of them has said to me, they are alive today, number one, because they sought help. Number two, they are on medication. So those two things have helped save their lives. And I think it's important to, to point out these individuals, it's not like they're cured from their depression. They're not. They're, they're, they still face challenges. The difference is they have that support system in place that when they find that they're in that moment of crisis, they have help. When my husband found himself in that moment of crisis, he had he had no help. He had no support system to, to get him from that point A to point B. Uh, and, and that's so important because when we do get in that, we always refer to it as the, the big black hole and you're just down there in the right. bottom and it hurts to be awake and everything is frustrating and challenging uh, that you do have to reach out and that, that reaching out is not a sign of weakness reaching out is not a sign of defeat. It's actually a sign of your determination uh, to move forward and your ability to actually move forward. You know, it's it's also interesting that these people I, I talk to have said to me, they talk about deep pain, that it is a physical pain to be in, as you called it, a black hole. And some of them described it that way. Others, others said it was like you're in a burning building and there's no other way out but to jump. Um, but also, too, as, the, as they're in kind of that black hole, as, as you, you've said, um, one gentleman in Montreal told me, and, and I, I won't forget this because I think that this is a very salient point, there is a difference between wanting the pain to stop and wanting to die. And those two get very confused because people don't know where to turn when they're in that black hole. And I think that's really important. If people understand, they can get through that darkness, that pain, but you've got to get help to do that. Yeah, you you have to get help. That is such an important part of it, and uh, and so often as that uh, that wave and that confusion comes in, where you where you talk about it, pain, pain is pain, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. That it's pain is pain, uh, and when you want that to stop so badly, uh, that is often where we we get into that despair, and it's just so important uh, that sometimes you know sometimes we talk about uh, the calm before the storm. Uh, but I think in these kinds of situations, it's important for everyone to remember it's this is just the storm before the calm. Uh, the calm will come. But as you've said, Lori, you have to reach out. 
Yeah, you, you, you really do. And I think my, my husband, he, he'd be alive today. He, he would had he sought real help. Um, there were a patchwork here and there through the years. He might go see a therapist once, twice, maybe three times, but that, that was the extent of it. Or he might be on medication. He might take it for a month and then stop. And so there was real, no real sense of, and another important point I want to make is depression is a mental illness. So I don't think he understood it enough in that sense to take his health seriously and to make sure that he was doing the things that he needed to do um, to, to feel better yeah because you can feel better with depression you can but it takes work and it takes time yeah and i i so appreciate that you've you know no one can really understand uh you know only those who've been to the brink and back of that you know that crushing suffocating mind reeling moment that would precede a, a suicide attempt uh but there are a lot of people who are listening right now who do know that overwhelming discouragement that loss of hope that feeling of worthlessness that can come with that debilitating anxiety and, and deep depression. Uh, we know sometimes it's it's hard to be awake. We know sometimes it's hard just to get out of bed uh, and and to try to move forward. But uh, Lori Pritchard, we appreciate you sharing these insights uh, in such a, a personal way. This is a crucial conversation, and uh, we look forward to continuing this. We know you've got a big speech uh, coming up next week in Wisconsin uh, where you'll share some of this insight, again, from people around the world who have been through uh, and to the brink uh, as it relates to suicide. And uh, those are just crucial conversations. We appreciate your voice here at KSL, and we appreciate your leadership on this uh, crucial conversation. Boyd, thank you. All right. That's again, that's Lori Pritchard from KSL TV. Uh, so powerful and uh, such great insight. And I will just remind anyone uh, if you or someone you care about is in an unsafe place mentally or emotionally, Call the suicide hotline 800-273-8255. In Utah, of course, you can download the Safe UT app, uh, get some help there as well. We're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, uh, what is normally my monologue I'm going to share today, I got a text today that said, I want to disagree with you. Please disagree with me. Find out what that's all about. Coming up next. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.